certainly a sexier headline, which is like one quote out of the podcast, right? Like, Joe DeSena says you should eat your children. You know what I mean? Like something which, like Which, by the way, you have, I think that might be an actual headline of one of your episodes. <laughs> right. So I think as a content creator, it's what you're comfortable with. Listen, I've had successful people tell me you're not doing it enough. You are doing it wrong. And they are some people that I respect, but it's just, I know what makes me feel good and what makes me feel icky. And if it makes me feel icky, I can't do it. Good morning. Thanks for coming back for another episode of the Grounded Content Podcast. If it's your first time here, let me give you a little bit of an idea of what to expect. On the Grounded Content Podcast, I like to explore the ideas of marketing, messaging, and especially content marketing. What really works where the line is between persuasion and manipulation, tactics and strategy, but also calling out some of the bullshit out there. Because sometimes there's things that work that are a little bit sketchy. So today's guest is Matt B. Davis. He's a little different than some of the other guests. He's not an expert in marketing or personal branding or networking. He hosts his own podcast, Obstacle Racing Media, but he and I talk about this stuff a lot. What do we do to be successful to market our shows, to market ourselves and our products. And the reason I really invited him on is because he calls me out on a lot of my bullshit. This episode is maybe more conversational than some of the others, but there's some solid tactics around his calls to action, his use of Patreon, and a few other things. This podcast, Grounded Content, is still pretty new. We're on episode 10, I think. And one of the things that you may see is that in a new podcast, as it develops, it starts to grow its own voice. I'd love to hear what you think about how the voice of this show is developing. If you think it's moving in the right direction or the wrong direction, drop me a note on my social media at MadMotion or on my website at madmotion.com slash groundedpodcast. We have some really cool people coming up in the next few weeks, including an interview soon to be recorded with Rebecca Heiss, who is an evolutionary biologist and psychologist, an interview with Dennis Ribello, all about story, an interview with Rich Cardona, that one's coming out next week, about personal branding. And one last thing, if you do like this podcast, please tell one friend about it. So good morning, Matt. Good morning to you. I know you and you know me, but the people listening might not know you. And so I want to start out by just talking about the obstacle racing media empire that you've built. Before I have you talk about how you are the best at calling me on my bullshit at all times, and that's the real reason I've invited you. But let's talk about what Obstacle Racing Media, what the empire is. And I believe you started with a podcast, and you did that because? It seemed like a fun idea. Now, I mean, I think you're oversimplifying. It definitely seemed like a fun idea. But as I recall... Around the time that you started, you and I both were observing that we were at these races and there was this just voracious hunger for information that was not being satisfied by any official channels, right? People were at 2 a.m. on Twitter wanting to know what was happening, desperate for information. And you kind of felt that need. Was that part of it? Well, I would say not at first. You could say the birth because I have seen the post because it's shown up from memories. You could say the birth of everything was this Facebook post where I literally just took a picture of an Excel sheet and it said, you know, number 125 DNF 230 Tuesday. That was really the birth of it. And again, I didn't know it. It makes a good story to say 
But it really, people are like, what? You're there? What's going on? Who's in? Who's out? What's happening in this crazy race? Guy was like, ooh, there is a hunger. Right, right. I, I'm not saying you posted the first time because you were being strategic and saying people need this information, but you put something up and immediately there was this huge reaction to it, which I think is probably part of what made it fun, right? Well, yes. And I personally was fascinated. Who are these people? What drives them? Why are they doing this? How are they able to go? I mean, I think that the way that I often explain it is, you know, I have no idea the experience your audience has with Joe or whatever. So just this guy, Joe, is putting on this race and he's having these people do these crazy physical tasks and they've been up for two days already. And I would see someone come in and they're dirty and sweaty and really tired because they've been up for at least a day at this point. And they just look at Joe and say, okay, what's next? Like ready to do whatever the next thing he suggested was. It's like the opposite of your kids who you go give them a chore (laughs) and you have to find them not doing it as opposed to like, if you've ever had that really great employee that's like, hey, I finished that thing. What would you like me to do next? You're like, oh my God, they're asking me before I've even given them the next thing. So these people were like ready to go. And that was kind of my first, I guess, intrigue into like, what is this? Who are these people? This is June of 2012. I had done a couple of these obstacle races, which are much easier versions of the event they were doing. And I enjoyed podcasts. I was listening to This American Life. I was listening to Mark Marin, And something in me said, and I don't know what it was, why don't you start a podcast about this thing? That's as simple as it was, Marion. And then once it was going out and people were like, when is the next one? This is amazing. Then it was like, oh, maybe we're on to something. And so fast forward now, this is your primary source of income. This is what you do for a living, right? Correct. Um, what more should we say about <laughs> There's so much between 2012 and today. It's been nine years, Mary. I know. I, I'm like, this is a professional podcaster. I did not expect the one word answer from you. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's the worst thing you can do to somebody, right? So we can talk about that. And I'd like to just kind of, for credibility's sake, right, for people who don't know you, right? I know you don't like to toot your own horn or whatever the appropriate expression is, but maybe you could just talk about the scope and the scale of what you've built. So the thing I'm, I was going to say the thing I'm most proud of is that I've never stopped, that I've been consistent, and that appears to be a road to success. So you don't want to say it, but I want to know, like, you have a lot of listeners. This is your full-time gig. You have sponsors. You have a good following. Talk about some of that. Just for those people that need that for credibility. Sure. So I, in many ways, have a dream job. I wake up every day and I'm talking to someone like this, or I'm editing something, or I'm making a video, or I'm writing about something. I get to do what I like every day. But you're, you're just not going to talk about it, right? You're not going to answer this question. I, I'm, I'm getting to it. I'm, I'm getting to it, I think. Marion, it's hard. We're really close. We're buddies. And so, you know, I don't know. I know, I know. I mean, yes, I do this for a living, but like, are numbers important? Like, hey, we have 41,000 followers on Instagram. Like, so numbers what? are important to some people. And that's okay. why, like, so here's the thing. Basically, here's how I imagine this conversation going, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, Marion. I'm just no, like, what did you? It's, it's awesome. So here's how I imagine this conversation going. I imagine it going sort of like, here's who Matt is. And this is For those people who measure on those kind of factors, who think those matter, I want to establish that you actually have credibility in those areas so that then we can move on to the interesting stuff and they're going to take you seriously. 
Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. So I've grown a following. I make 100% of my income because of my talents in this field. I don't have another job where I work for a marketing company or an HVAC company or... (laughs) And you have real sponsors and you have a really active listener base and you have, you know, people listen to the show and they like the show. And they really like me or they really don't like me, which I think is also part (laughs) of it. Which will be true of my audience as well. But yes, this is my full-time career is a podcast and dare I say content creator, a term that's thrown around a lot, but that is what I do. And that's what I get paid to do. And I feed a family of five, me and my wife and three children. So it's not easy. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Check that box. Okay. Okay, great. So now we can move on. So the reason I invited you on, right, this podcast is supposedly, it's about marketing and it's about tactics and all that stuff, but it's also about just cutting through some of the bullshit, right? And And there's a uh, lot out there, Marion, and I know you know that. Oh my God, Jesus, there's so much bullshit. (laughs) And so you, even I, who like to think of myself as fairly feet on the ground, you have on several occasions called me on bullshit. And while I appreciate that, I also thought it would be kind of interesting to talk about, okay, here's an example. So Clubhouse, new app, everybody's getting in there. I start showing up and I go in a couple of rooms and I have my kind of like, hi, I'm Marion kind of a bio, right? Right. And just nobody's paying attention. And all of a sudden I kind of experiment and I put, oh, I produce such and such a show with such and such listeners and such and such important big name people, blah, 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 right? With little like pictures of microphones and, you know, I did not put money bags in, but- What about rocket ships? (laughs) I did not put rocket ships. I did not put the graph going up, but I did put a (laughs) podcast mic and I still have podcast mic and sparkles in there, but I can see Matt is is in pain to that. But so Matt rightfully was like, what the hell is this, Marion? This is like all the bullshit stuff that's in there. So here's what I want to talk about. First of all, the truth is it worked much better. I think you're confusing me with somebody else. I'm the one who called you out on your email signature. Yeah, but you also called me out on my LinkedIn. Or you sent me sample douchebag, what you call douchebag LinkedIn, not LinkedIn Clubhouse. Can Can we be specific? You sent me a sample, what you called a douchebag Clubhouse profile, which I assumed you were doing to call me out on my Clubhouse profile. If I didn't say that's what I was doing, I think I was pointing out that like, oh, is this what Clubhouse kind of is? I want to back up. I want to get the record straight, ladies okay. and gentlemen. Make sure the record's straight. I heart Marion. <laughs> if I didn't care about it, I wouldn't say it. Marion's, just stay with me. Your email signature was something like producer of Spartan Up, Spartan Health, Spartan This, Spartan That, this many downloads, this many listeners, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, Marion, come on. Like, just say Spartan Up and like people can Google that if they're interested and we'll kind of go from there. Because I get emails like that as a podcast host where it says, Joe Smith, CEO of Joe Smith Enterprises, Joe Smith Corporation, and then some fake stats about their Amazon stats or whatever. And I'm like, I would have heard of you. You were this big of a deal. So anyhow, that's what I called you out on many years ago. And you agreed. You go like, you know what, Matt, Matt, I can can shorten that a little. I shorten it completely. You were totally right. The Clubhouse thing, I wasn't saying that's you. I think you interpreted that. I think I was just like, oh, is this what Clubhouse is? Because I hadn't been on yet. I go, it looks like a lot of these kind of LinkedIn D-bags. Right, that, right. That was my initial thought. And thank you for saying D-bags because I don't really care for that term, but I didn't think to abbreviate it. So, I mean, I guess this is the question, essentially. Where are these lines? Like, if this crap works, should we be doing it? Well, I mean, 
pictures of bikini girls works. I'm being serious. No, I know. But here's the thing. Like, is it selling what you think it's selling? And I think that's the fine line. Marion, I think this is what I face every day. The clickbait E title versus the non-clickbait E title. Now, clickbait is a term like troll that has become overused. Like everything people call it clickbait. To me, the true definition is eight facts about George Bush and the ninth one will blow you away. Or you click on it and it's actually something else. Like that's clickbait. But certainly a sexier headline which is like one quote out of the podcast, right? Like Joe DeSena says, you should eat your children. You know what I mean? Like something which, like- Which by ver- the way, you have, I think that might be an actual headline of one of your episodes. <laughs> right. So I think as a content creator, it's what you're comfortable with. Listen, I've had successful people tell me, you're not doing it enough. You are doing it wrong. And they are some people that I respect, but it's just, I know what makes me feel good and what makes me feel icky. And if it makes me feel icky, I can't do it. And I think it's a super fine line. I probably am also too emotional. Someone might say, who cares? Like, be less emotional. Attached to it. Who cares if people think you're douchey or it's clickbaity? If it's working for you, it's working for you. But you and I have had a lot of conversations about this because we all want to know how to slow the scroll, how to get that one more click, how to, you know, there's a sea of garbage out there. And it's really hard. You know, it's really, really hard. And for me, I'm always afraid that I've hit the ceiling. You know, you talk about it growing and I'm always like, yeah, but the sword's so small and I can only make so much money. And should I pick another sport? Should I venture out? Like these are all different kinds of questions, but I guess at the end of the day, it's what works for you. And it might mean you lose clicks or listens or whatever in the short term. I know a lot of people sort of worship at the shrine of Gary Vee. And I certainly did at one point and don't as much as I used to, but consistency and patience like that's all he says but it's so true like here we are marion it's freaking nine years so this june will be nine years since i started the podcast and there's things i learned in year one there's things i learned last week Do you realize it's been eight years since spartan up started wow i remember when the goal was 100 episodes i remember that i remember joe saying let's bang out 100 so i remember here's a good story i remember sitting in a taxi with Joe, who is the host and the client basically for the show that I have been, you know, poured my heart and soul into for the last eight or nine years or however long it's been, right? But we were in a taxi and he was explaining the show to somebody who was in, I, I think like we were on our way to actually just to name drop, I think we were on our way to interview Tim Ferriss and we're in a taxi in California and he says to whoever the guy was that was like bringing us there, the guy says, well, how much do you think you're going to do? And he says, I think we'll do 500 episodes. And the guy said, 500 episodes, one a week, that's 10 years. And Joe and I both looked at each other like, what? There's not like neither of us had any intention of doing it for 10 years at all, but neither of us had thought to do the math. So, what you're saying to me, Marion, is hey, when I told these people who I was, I mean, it's not who I am, right? But it got their attention and it made them take me seriously. Well, saying you're the host of a successful show, I definitely think people click on that and go, oh, that's a real show. Like we all do. And we see something, we click on it. It's like IG 37 followers. It's like, okay, so they're not legit yet. So I think I'm lazy, right? And so sometimes I click through, but sometimes like I just want to see everything right there. And I'm like, oh, I should pay attention to this. And honestly, to your point, if they say a million downloads, I'm probably like, oh, I shouldn't pay attention to this because this person's full of crap. But Here's my dilemma. And now I didn't mean for this to be all about me, but you know, it's all about me. So my persona, my personality is I'm pretty, I would say unassuming, like I'm kind of like a Vermont lady, right? Right. Right. I'm a Vermont lady. Right. And so what that means, I think the first impression people get 
is not going to be like, oh, this is the person that should advise me in my social media or marketing strategy, like legitimately like real strategy and tactics to actually achieve business goals. They're like, she's a nice lady in Vermont and isn't that cute. And so I think I overcompensate and I have to put like 30 million, blah, 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 because otherwise people just don't take a second look. Right. Well, I mean, listen, I don't know anyone that doesn't have imposter syndrome at any level, right? Yeah. I guess the question is, how much do you do? Like, I, I love this analogy and you have to bear with me here, right? So it's kind of like to the clickbaity thing. Say you want to sell a product and you send an email that's going to help get the person to call about your product. And if they don't open the email, you will definitely not get that sale, right? And so like, if you keep going backwards, if the headline on the email doesn't get them to open it, they're not going to read it and they're not going to call you. And so you could be the most legitimate, grounded, wonderful person in the world. But if you don't have that clickbaity headline, or maybe it's not clickbaity, but if you don't get it right, nothing else in the chain falls into place. Right. And a great point, because I've essentially ignore, not ignored. Yes. For two or three years, I literally ignored my email list. I did nothing with it. Right. I was paying MailChimp for nothing. And this is an analogy, right? It's the same with your, right. your, it's, you know, right. But emails, I never put that much weight in because email lists by nature are degenerative. And every year that goes by, people are checking email lists. Like it's like the numbers have fallen off the freaking map of what they were three years ago or four years ago, right? So I put a lot more emphasis into Instagram. And in the last year, a lot of emphasis into YouTube. And in our world of obstacle racing, Spartan is the biggest brand. If Spartan is in the title, it certainly gets more views. So should I call every email Spartan and other OCR news? That's kind of what I've devolved into because just OCR news doesn't cut it or whatever. So I'm right there with you. But again, it's like, it's a super fine line because I think my stuff's great. I don't think my stuff's garbage. I don't think my stuff's, you know, worth opening. And the numbers are so low, but there is still some value. People are in fact signing up for it. Maybe those are all older people. I don't know. But I know that for years, I just was like, I treated it like whatever, like, well, I'm not even going to bother with it. And I also... I don't want to get off tangent on tactics, but anyway, I'm going to stop until you ask another question. No, I want to, what was the tangent about tactics or was it about obstacle racing? No, no, it was about tactics. Now I want to hear it. So CrossFit is another niche sport. There's a company called Morning Chalk Up, which is news and information about CrossFit, the same way my company is news and information about obstacle racing. However, the guy who started that company is wildly successful. He has I don't know, 10 employees, like some, like I have zero, right? I have some part-time people, right? And he does a very simple email, but it's every morning. It's Monday through Friday and it's massive. And he makes buku dollars selling advertisers against it. And I certainly would like that. So I started kind of focusing more on email. And rather than just put five things about obstacle racing and my sponsors, I was like, what if I just include a couple of other of these things, like, like these aggregated emails that other people put out? Ultra Running puts one out, Endurance Sports Wild puts one out. So I just picked a couple of things and I sent it out and people were like, I really like that. So now I'm doing that. Now it took me this many years to think that was a decent idea, but it's what I started doing. So we'll see how it goes. And the numbers in the opens are still super low, but it's working in terms of there's some value in it and I can continue to grow it. So what do you think is the difference, right? I, like I know that you're providing value to your audience 
So what do you think is the difference? Why has the CrossFit guy got 10 employees and you have a part-timer? <laughs> that's, that's it. I mean, what is it? Because you could probably emulate it, right? Well, the first question is, where is the cap? Is his cap bigger than mine? And I think it is or certainly was. CrossFit had this huge like thing, right? And then the second thing is some people are better business people, right? Some people are better at learning these tactics sooner or hiring someone sooner. It's kind of a business one-on-one question. Again, entrepreneur dilemma, like, do I hire somebody right before I can afford it? And then it explodes because now I'm getting so much more done because I have delegated the editing and I've delegated all this stuff or hire an expert to help with this or that. I can tell you if I had less kids, it'd be a lot easier, right? But that's the route I've chosen. You know, I've talked to a lot of successful people or people that have just kind of what I want and ask them what they did. But at the end of the day, it's, it's like a gazillion reasons why things work or don't work. And yeah, there's a lot of reasons. So probably more people can identify with kind of your scenario than some of the bigger companies that we work with, right? Or that sponsor or whatever. So you have had real success. You're starting to see success on your YouTube. You've had some stuff that's done really well. Your Instagram is doing well. So how do you think about what works? And if you can kind of, again, sort of for the non, non-OCR people, but people who might be trying to build their own thing. Yeah. Because I'm not a planner, because I do most things by instinct, I think it's harder for me to talk about because it's the style that works for me. So the one thing that I have said when I've been asked this before that I know makes sense is you can't possibly do everything on all platforms if you're by yourself. So focus on two. So for me, for years, it was just Facebook and Instagram and mostly Facebook, right? 2012 to 2016 or 17, it was like Facebook was it. Everything was Facebook. However, I'm going to stop that actually, now that I think about it, and say that at that time, everything was about driving traffic to the website. I want to have clicks on this website. I want to have big numbers on this website. That's where my advertisers are. That's where I can make money. And it was about having people read the thing. As the years have gone on, social has gotten bigger and bigger. The website's almost secondary. You can launch an entire company without a web page, which, you know, Back in the day, it was like, do they even have a website? Oh my God, they only have a Facebook page. They must be not legit. Now it's like, you could launch an Instagram and you're off and running. So the last two years, I would say, has been like 100% Instagram and YouTube. Not 100%, like clearly other things, like the, I'm still doing the podcast. So yeah, podcast, YouTube, Instagram, those are the things I focus on. So let's talk about that instinct, right? So you were saying you, you kind of drive by instinct. I mean, if you were to kind of boil that down, I mean, what that is, is you're looking at what people respond to, you're trying new things, and then you're kind of doubling down on the things that seem to be working. Are there any essential things? Like, do they like to see your face? Do they like information? Do they like your personality? I think, again, to do the basic Gary V thing of give, give, ask, or jab, jab, right hook, I think I lean too far on the give. I don't ask enough. Somebody could probably say, although I have gotten a lot better at it. My whole thing was like, let's just content, content, content. Let's never ask the audience for anything. Let's just keep giving them good stuff. And it's the simplest thing, but it's the, it's the truest thing. It is about consistency because people have a trust with me over years not because of one particular piece of content or one race coverage or whatever. It's, oh, this person has been delivering to me for years, literally. 
And then there's people that don't even stay in our sport like long enough to build that. So you're just constantly building rapport. So that's it. Like consistency is the thing and it probably should be pretty good. There are things that I thought would go to the moon content wise that didn't. There are things that I didn't think about twice that did. So there's a few names in the sport that always ring true, right? There's a handful of names that if I put something about them up, it gets a lot of views, right? Or clicks or whatever it is. But other than that, it really is just consistency. I mean, the other part is building relationships and access so that when certain things happen, I'm the first one to get that information. And that's, again, because I've been doing this for so long. So that's actually a really interesting one. And that's one that's been around long before social media, which is what do you have to do to maintain that access? And what happens if you post negative messages? Do you lose that access? Yeah. Something I learned early on was everybody loves to hear juicy stuff until it's about them. Because literally the same guy who's like, wow, you reported on this company. Great job. Like, looks like they were doing some shady shit. And then literally like two weeks later is like, why'd you write that about us? Now, it wasn't even what I said. And this has happened too with people, right? Like I post a thing about a person and because our industry is small, I know most of them. And I get a text from them that's like, well, why did you do that? And it's like, well, you read it that way. I didn't even mean it that way, right? Kind of like your thing with the with the douchey, whatever you call it, uh, clubhouse thing. So I've just dealt with it. There's people that I'm sure I've lost money because of it either money I never even am going to know about or people that specifically stopped working with me because of it. And if you're in the news and information business, it's just, it's a consistent fine line. Yeah. I mean, right. That's the question is you have to be successful, right? You're feeding your family. You got, you got to keep the business, the machine going, but yet you'll lose your audience if you don't speak straight, but you could lose the sponsors if you do or the access. Right. And there's that great line from Inglorious Bastards at the end where Aldo Rain is like, he totally pulled, he pulled the rug out from Hans Landa and he's like, they'll kill you for this. He's like, no, I'll get chewed out. I've been chewed out before. That's kind of how it is most of the time with me. It's like, they're going to be mad temporarily. They'll probably get over it because they do need media, right? Or they might need something from you or appreciate what you do or just like, I'm not going anywhere. So you can't ignore me, I guess. And yeah, it definitely makes you some enemies. And I'm certainly someone that does overstep my bounds sometimes and says the wrong thing or isn't polite. I do apologize. I mean, that's one thing I like, I do apologize if I screw up, but things happen in the last couple of weeks like that. So really? yeah. What, what happened in the last couple of weeks? I overstepped my bounds and upset some people and stepped on toes and they're very upset. And I apologized and they said it's okay, but I know that it's kind of still not and that's okay. And the other thing is, again, where consistency pays off is sometimes that person that doesn't like you or isn't really giving you, like there's always pushback, leaves that company and goes to work for somebody else, but I'm still here. Right. More often than not, they're all gone. So it, that's the other thing I've learned is like, I remember having this massive relief, like I can't even remember when it was a few years ago because it was this one person that like didn't like me. They were no longer there. I was like, oh my God, like, great. Like, I'm still here and it's, we're all going to move on. Right, right. There was a great line. I actually, I think this will publish in a couple weeks, but the interview, which will probably be two weeks before, I don't know, 
is this guy, Michael Roderick, who is a pretty cool guy. And he talks about having a referable brand. And it sounds exactly like kind of one of the big bullshit things, right? He has all kinds of acronyms, which are actually really useful. He kind of breaks down the information to why people share things and how people share them and how to make stuff that people want to share. But I asked him at the end for his kind of essential advice. And he said, you know what? I think for a lot of people who care about what they do, the pendulum swings too far the other way. And they're so afraid of being sketchy and gross that they don't actually use the tools that are available to actually do the powerful work that they could be doing. What's sketchy and gross? What do you mean? Like all the things we've been talking about, right? Saying you have X million listeners or using like whatever the tactic is, you know, even using some of the persuasion tactics, for example, whatever that tactic is. What persuasion tactics do I use? I don't know what you mean. I'm seriously. I I don't know if you do, but there's this great book. Do you know about the book Persuasion by Robert Cialdini? No. Great book. And it's framed as though it is protecting you from these techniques, but most marketers read it in order to learn the techniques. Is it NLP, like that kind of thing? What's NLP? Neurolinguistic programming. No, I don't think so. There's like seven principles and, you know, there are things like scarcity, uh, reciprocity, you know, all these sort of things that we are evolved as humans to respond to. Seriously, like our evolutionary psychology. Act now! Yes. I mean, it is like the scarcity thing. Like every event you've ever been to said that tickets were almost sold out, even when they weren't, because we're like, oh, I got to get it. I, I, I might miss it. So there's all these tactics of persuasion. And so for me, what I think is really interesting is where the line is between persuasion and manipulation, like what's useful and what's gross. And so his thing was actually people like you and I probably err too far on the right. we're, wrong way. Right. Right. But again, I feel like sales is only sketchy if you make it sketchy, right? Like sales is sales, right? And yet you're afraid to use a lot of these things. Well, I'll use a great example from my own life. Direct example. 2017, I started a Patreon. That's when Patreon started and things like it. And I was super afraid to ask anybody for money. Like, well, they know I have sponsors. so. Does this mean I'm not good at my job? Does this mean I'm desperate? Like, seriously. So I barely mentioned it, like barely. And so I had three sponsors for $17 going for like a couple years even. And then this friend of mine named Mike, who was a fan of the sport, said, you know, I kind of do this for a living. I kind of figure out where people are at. Why don't you send me your numbers? And let's do some math with it. He's like, okay, you're getting this many downloads. You should have way more Patreons, like way more. And like, I read this that they put out and you should read it, which of course I never did because I never read the rules and think the rules don't apply to me. So there's some basic things. And I think you and I have talked about this offline. You know, Patreon says, here's what's worked, right? Have five levels, not three, not seven. Here's why five works. And a couple of other things that I wasn't doing. And then I had to, ask for the sale. I had to come on my show and say, please donate. Now, I started out making a joke, quote unquote. Hey, I got three kids. They eat a lot of cereal. Please give me money, right? Because that felt safe to me. Now, that became a thing in my audience. And people still reference it all the time. Like, my kids are getting older and older and eat less cereal. But, you know, when I see 
a message from someone. So they sign up for Patreon and I say, Hey man, thank you so much for joining. It means a lot. And they go, Hey man, I know you got a lot of cereal to buy or Dunkin' to buy because <laughs> I post that I drink a lot of Dunkin' Donuts coffee and it's become this thing. And I am super comfortable talking about it now. And because those people are there, I love speaking to them directly. And this is the part that I learned recently because Patreon actually put some of us together, like one of these, like kind of like, let's learn from each other groups. And all of us found out that we, the person, think it's about giving them access and extra things. And the opposite is mostly true. It's about they want to help you, which is a hard thing for us with imposter syndrome to believe. So again, I'm giving exact black and white, here's a tactic thing, okay? When I started, I didn't know what to do because I didn't want to do extra work. I didn't want to do extra episodes or create whatever, like I don't have time to do that shit. What can I offer these people? And I'm like, okay, I'll do like a raffle. I get a lot of free products, shoes and gear. And I'm like, I'll do a raffle, right? Then Patreon sends me a message and goes, hey, we don't do that because there's laws around contests and it's different in every state and yada, yada. And so I just wrote my 30 patrons at the time and said, guys, I can't do this anymore. What do you think? And they were all like, Matt, we don't care. We just want to help you. And when I heard that message 12 times, I believed it. So that was a massive lesson for me. So since then, they don't get a ton of stuff. They get some access, right? We do the whole like Patreon-only Zoom, and we did some fun things. We've done Christmas giveaways and football pools. and But it's not like these big companies that are like, hey, you get an extra episode and you know free live shows when they happen and all this stuff. For people our size that are starting out and growing a following, it's just because they want to support it. So I talk about Patreon all the time. The more I talk about it, the more it works. I'm up to 200 Patreons now, and I never would have imagined that could happen. When I was making $30 a month, and a guy said, there's no reason you're not making $1,000 a month, he may as well have said $25,000 a month, because I'm like, that's never going to happen. And while $1,000 does not pay all your bills, it is not nothing. To have come in every month for stuff I'm already doing, for the work that I love doing. So that's like the best 100% tactical thing I can talk about in terms of growing my business. That's great. I mean, so what would be your advice, right? For somebody, I guess we could call do we call it personal branding? What do we call what you do? No, not really. I mean, how much do you think your audience is there for Matt? And how much do you think they're there for obstacle racing? Or do you think you cannot pull it apart? I definitely cannot pull it apart. At this point, I can't, for better or for worse. I am the brand, as it were. And it's why trying to launch a bunch of podcasts on my feed, which is what I something I tried didn't work, which we can talk about that too. But again, early on, people would say to me, like, I go to a race, people come up to me, hey, love the podcast. And that's great, because that was like my direct connection to the audience. I know what listening to a podcast does for me and my ears and how I connect to that host. But then people would say things like, hey, just thanks for what you're doing for the sport. I appreciate everything you're doing. And it was like, they just get that I'm honest and real and care. And that's like, I've heard people say that too. Like, well, I love that you report on this stuff and you still do it. And I'm like, well, how could I otherwise? How could I possibly be this invested in this sport if I wasn't someone out there every week doing it with you or being out there, you know, not just sitting at my house clacking away at keys. So there are certainly people that consume it that don't know that I have three kids that need cereal. There's certainly people that read the articles or watch the videos, but that's the other thing that I started doing a lot of videos, but I never mentioned Patreon on video. And it was like, 
well, why don't I do that? And sure enough, started saying at the end of the videos and I'd be like, Hey, how did you like, thanks for giving like, Oh yeah, I love your videos. Like they never even heard the podcast. So does that answer your question? Yeah. So it's like a struggle even to talk with you. So here's, here's the thing. Like when I talk to some people in this show, I have to pull them back. They like, they have their marketing spiel or they have their, like their message or their book or whatever. And and it's really hard to like pull them back from the edge and be like, no, no, I want to have a real conversation. <laughs> With you, I feel like all we can have is a real conversation, and I want to get a little bit of that like <laughs> stuff that the audience likes. So if you actually were giving someone advice who was building a brand from scratch, what kind of advice would you give them? Only do something you really love. Don't mess with the stuff you don't. Try everything. Yeah, I think trying new things is probably the biggest one. And I'm like as guilty as anyone is being afraid of trying these things. Again, one thing I always talk about, I started a show. There was this idea that my podcasts were kind of standard one-hour interview. Here's who the guest is, me shooting the shit, blah, blah, blah. Let's get to the interview. Great interview with the guest. Bye. Thanks for listening. Someone said, why don't you do like a news show? Like, Here's what happened in the sport this week. Let's do like a 10-minute show. So we started out as a 10-minute video show, and then we turned it into a podcast. And every week, we talked more and more. And every week, we went off topic more and more and more. And so this weekly show, which is sometimes about obstacle racing, sometimes pop culture, sometimes what's going on in our lives, has become as successful as the other podcasts. And I can see that in the downloads, and I can see that in the engagement. So I would have never guessed that. I would have never predicted that. So that's kind of the one massive thing I can point to that if I wasn't willing to try this new thing of a five-minute show, I could have never guessed that that would have become, like, it's a huge, huge thing. And my co-host, Josh Chase, like, we've become close friends through it. It's fun to create with another person. Doesn't feel so lonely on the mic. So those are kind of my pillars in terms of like tricks is like focus on one or two. Like again, like I think Gary V would tell you, we'll do all of them. At least get on Pinterest once a month because then you might get one listener from Pinterest. And it's like, look, that's not going to happen for me. Sorry, I'm not going to get on Pinterest. So focus on a couple of, and if you're young and can live on very little and have a lot of free time, you could do even more. But for me, focus on a couple of those things and just go ham, just go crazy and be consistent, put out a ton of stuff and ask people what they like and don't like and be able to take feedback in. And I mean, that's kind of it for me. I try to keep it really simple, Marion. But what's the biggest thing that makes you crazy? What's the biggest thing that makes me crazy? Yeah. Oh my God. So much makes me crazy. I mean, specific to this industry. What's the thing that makes me crazy? See that I actually like, I enjoy the process so much. Yeah, but you complain about like, what do people get wrong? What are the things that get, make you crazy that like, come on, you're pretending you're a nice guy, but I know. You're like, well, I thought you were talking you're about so my, you're talking about, I'm talking, you're talking about, about, listen, everybody's got an answer. And if you look at a lot of people in that world that are pushing themselves, they've never built anything, right? Like, I'm going to teach you how to whatever because they saw Gary Vee and they think that's the way to go. And it's not just because they're young, it's just because they haven't done it. Like, if you've got 108 followers, I'm not going to believe that you could help me grow my Instagram following. So listen, this is where I'm at in my life, Marion. I spent so much time pre-internet 
reading all the books, going to all the seminars. As the years have gone on, continue to read the books, watching the gurus. And it's, listen, if you're ever done learning, you're obviously like done, right? So of course, there's always stuff to learn, but I've stopped consuming most of that stuff. Listen, this is the best advice I got from this guy. There's this guy, Eric Von Hessler, who you've never heard of, but locally, he's this massive interviewing kind of legend. He's had political shows on the radio for 30 years. And I asked him because he's doing what I want to do, like just, you know, gets up every day and does what he wants. And I said, what's your advice? He said, just keep taking it all in, like watch more documentaries, listen to more interviews, have more experiences, and then you have more to base off of. And that's what I'm in the mode of now. But once upon a time, Mary, and it was like, oh, what are you reading? What did Tim Ferriss say to read? Let's go read that. You know what I mean? And there's nothing wrong with if that's where you're at, but it's just not where I'm at today. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And that's sense. why I'm turned off by almost any quote unquote marketing advice. But like, you know, I could go through the list, like the E Myth, 22 innumerable laws of blah, 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 the Gary V stuff. Like, I've read all that stuff, and there's always a tip or a trick, but I try not to. Like I used to worship Tim Ferriss and now I never listen to Tim Ferriss. <laughs> See, I had like the opposite problem. I was so skeptical from day one. I just thought they were all full of shit. Like the opposite. Like I was like, oh, there's actually some value. Even though it's wrapped in a coating of bullshit, like there's actually some value in here. That was the surprise for me. Is that because maybe, I don't know, maybe you came with a skill set that you already trusted, like in terms of producing and editing, and I came at this like new, like when I started my first business was a staffing company, and I just like, oh my God, I could not read enough. I couldn't consume enough. I couldn't go to enough seminars. You know what I mean? It was like, I don't know how to do this. Oh, I'm still that way. Like I'm still like constantly, constantly listening and learning. But I think, for example, someone who had been to a recovery meeting might have heard the phrase, take what you like and leave the rest. Exactly. And that's it. That's what I had to learn was, okay, it could still be 99% bullshit, but there could be one thing that's really useful and sometimes it's worth listening. Well, you want to get real talk, Marion. Yes. Okay. There's also program phrase, but this might be just a in life phrase is like spot it, got it, right? You spot it, you got it. So if I really hate someone, is it because maybe they remind me of myself? Maybe I'm a little full of shit. Maybe I'm, <laughs> you know, being disingenuine or whatever, right? Yeah. So there's that too. Like even before documentaries were such a massive thing and streaming was a thing, I would always watch them and I'm always learning that way. I don't know. I just think there's stuff that, again, here's a great example. I had my friend, Jeff, doing all my editing and he was doing it for free for many years because he got to do free races. And then he's like, Matt, I'm not free anymore. And I was like, I better learn to edit. Now, learning to edit video was like, are you kidding me? There's no way I can learn to it's, edit video. Can I t just say something? Here's what drives me crazy, right? Learning to edit video is like learning to be an author, right? People think it's like, oh, what button do I press? It's not about <laughs> what button you press. It's just like learning to be an author is not about like, do I need a number two pencil or do I need, a, an, uh, or do I need the automatic pencil that clicks through? Which kind should I have to exactly, write a story? Exactly, oh. exactly. But I'm saying that, I had to take my own advice because people always ask me about podcasting. Always. Matt, you do podcasts. How do you start one? And I'm like, well, you start and the first ones suck and then you get better. And it takes a long time to edit, but then pretty soon you're doing it, you know, better. And the first time I edited a video and it took me four hours to edit the five minute video, but then I lost it all 
because I didn't convert the disk to the laptop first. So it was all on the disk and I, it just, it was all gone. But that is what it's like. You're now officially an editor. That's what my friend said when I texted him and said, I just lost five hours of my life that I'll never get back. He said, well, now you're an editor. Like now you know what it's like. It's a rite of passage, if you will. That's the phrase I was looking for. And now I enjoy editing. I really like editing. It's another way to express myself. I can put a joke here. I can make a funny thing here. And I'm still not as good as all these people with amazing tools and amazing software and the- Really good pencils. Really good pencils. But there is something to be said. The pencils thing is great for starting, but there is a point where you do want to graduate past lower thirds that iMac gives you. Like You do want to grow past that. That's the thing. Once you know that you've hit a ceiling and you're like, oh, I want to do this thing that I can't do, then it's time. Exactly. To move. Yeah. Right. No, same thing with podcasting, right? It's like, just get started, right? Just get started. But I had to take that advice. And again, I'm so glad I did because A, I would have never done it or it would have cost me so much money. But I can't even say that. I would have just never done it because there's no way now, again, like just learning as I go. So here's a tactic thing, because I know you're liking these. And again, this is not the way, this is what I've done, okay? Interview people on the podcast, we'll just throw it up on YouTube because, well, people will watch it and it'll be great. And the views weren't great. So I took five minutes of that interview and put that on YouTube. And we're like, here's this interview with this person. It's five minutes. You want to listen to the rest? It's here. And what do you know? People engage with that. And then I saw this thing that I always see people do on YouTube, where they go, hey, everybody, It's Matt here, and here's what this interview is about. Let's watch it together. And then at the end, hop on and go, hey, if you like this, subscribe and blah, 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 right? And I started doing that. And what do you know? That works. Now, I try not to use the phrase smash that like button, right? Like I I, I try not to be that guy. But you know what exactly what we're talking about? Like, well, why do that? Why does that make a difference? Don't they just want to watch the video? Like, don't they just want the interview? But don't you, like if you go and you're in YouTube and you, maybe you, get that clickbaity headline, right? And you're like, oh, I want to know what this is. And you start the interview and the interview is like, so this morning I had coffee and like, <laughs> like all that warm up stuff. You're like, okay, this is the wrong thing. And you leave. But if you have Matt up at the beginning and Matt is like, hold on, this is what we're going to do. Then you're like, oh, okay, the coffee part I can wait through or I can fast forward through because the good stuff is really coming. Like you right. need to tell people that. Right. But I didn't know that or didn't want to know that or whatever. And again, there's still people that say it doesn't matter. Leave the whole thing up. You might get a click or a learn or whatever, but that's just not the way I've chosen to do it. What's a learn? That's some word I just made up. (laughs) So yeah. And again, I could have fun with it. So like doing a little blooper thing at the end, like that's really fun. I stopped doing that just from a time perspective. You know, it's like almost double the work just to move those things to the end and then cut those. But yeah, people seem to enjoy like, hey, thanks for watching, or just giving them just a little bit of context rather than just jumping into it. So I think, I mean, we could do this for hours, but I think we would probably bore people. I don't know, not us, but we might bore others. Any parting remarks other than subscribe on Patreon or whatever? No, just if you're listening to this and there's something that you can't not do, like I really, really want to teach people this, or I want to show people this, or I want to talk to these people and have these conversations, then go do it. And if it's not really, really driving you, then don't either pick something else or go do something else. Cause that's the only way you can live through the highs and lows of big money months and low money months and getting many, many no's and all that stuff. That's the best thing I can say. Thanks for listening to this episode of the grounded content podcast. 
I take nothing for granted. If you are still here at this point in the podcast, I am so grateful. And I hope that it means the conversation was interesting to you. If it does, I have one favor to ask of you. And that is to tell one friend that you think might also find it interesting about this show. See you next time. Thanks. Thanks.